Hello and welcome back to another Game Pit episode. This is 144 and we're going to do something slightly different, Ronan. What are we doing? Why don't you tell them? It's your idea. You're the one who conjured this up last year or the year before. Did I? Yeah, you did. I'm sure. Take credit for it. It was a marvellous idea. I'm sure, I'm sure you think up these things and just give them to me to make me feel better. Yeah, you think them up, you make me do them, and then you pretend <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> so what we are doing is a retrospective, Sean. Do you want to take us further than that? Yeah, so we are going 10 years uh, into the past, and we're going to look at 2010, and we're going to look at some of the best games that came out, and we're going to do our top 10s, aren't we, Rona? A lot of people do their top tens of the year in December or January, what have you. We've said it a million times. We'll say it one more time. It just doesn't make sense to us because there's so many games you haven't played. So we're not 2019's top ten will be ages away. But at the beginning of 2020 seems like a good time to look back to 2010 because we can genuinely say that these ten games for each of us have stood the test of time. Our classics are still around. We're still playing them. And if you are looking for the best games of previous years, then these are the episodes to look at for our recommendations. Sean, what were your thoughts overall for the quality of games that came out in 2010? I felt that there was a good standard, but nothing that really said to me, that is your top game of the year. That is your second top game Not of the year. Really? really? Nothing, really? Well, for you, well, obviously for you there is. We all, everyone knows what yours is going to be, if, they, if, they know, if they've listened to any of our shows in the past. But for me, it, there was a lot of good games, but nothing like, wow, that's the best game I've ever played. So definitely nothing in my current top 10, I don't think. That's a really good way to sell this show. So stop listening to Sean's now. I'll just give you 10 good games. So my top four or five were clear top four or five. After that, I actually had a top 19, and I know everyone says it, you could swap those around and it wouldn't be too much of a change in quality. So I think there was a decent crop of games, but perhaps lacked the very top, top standard, like you're saying, apart from the odd exception or two. There are definitely games that are outside my top 10 now that I'm thinking, should I put it in at the last minute? And yeah, Have you got your near misses written down I have because we could always oh maybe when we finish we can just literally list the other ones rather than do any spoilers at the beginning but list the ones that were close yeah, that's, yeah that sounds like a good Beautiful. idea really. I have got a prediction for crossovers I reckon we're going to have four crossovers four hmm. clearly you haven't thought about that so I haven't I really haven't I really haven't <laughs> I mean, what else is there to think about when you're preparing uh, a list yeah. of like oh I wonder how many he's got I've written down what I think your top five's going to be ha huh? You're wrong. I guarantee you. I haven't got number five right. I guarantee number five's not right. Okay. We'll crack in, shall we? Let's do it. Okay. So my number 10 from 2010 is Jerusalem from Michaeli Mora. It's an area control game based around when the Crusaders went over and took over Jerusalem for that little while, the Kingdom of Jerusalem. And there was a weird thing in various cities around there where they were trying to build the tallest tower to show that their order, be it the Templars or hospitals or whatever, are the most powerful. And in this one, what that translates into is before each of the five rounds a bid for an office card which can tell you how many 
cubes you can put to play in the various areas and also you get to draft an action card with that office card and then you're going to put those cubes into areas in order to control them when you control them you're going to get in prestige and money the money's going to allow you to take actions and bid again for the, for the rolls but the prestige is what you're going to use to build up your tower and the person who has the highest tower at the end is going to be the winner there are events each round that always mix it up and sean jerusalem for me is an area control game that's always tight always interesting it's got that cubes el grande thing where every time someone puts a cube on the board it's going to change up things slightly you have rivalries in certain areas with someone you're trying to decide the time in which to pull out because you can pull cubes out if they're useless to you to make a little bit more money and genuinely this was probably right game right time in 2010 when we were still relatively new-ish to the board game and hobby yeah, definite fond memories of Jerusalem Road. And we played it at yours a few times. I, I went as far as to buy a copy. I ended up giving it to Lloyd. But um, definitely one that I enjoyed. And it kind of flew under the radar a little bit. Not, I don't think many people have, will have heard of Jerusalem. No, it's not massively highly rated either. It was from a relatively small company. I think it was Stratolibri. Let me turn... I'm going to turn my head away from the microphone. Phil, Sean, Phil. <laughs> How was that? That was shocking feeling, and the name of the publisher isn't on the side of the box. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not committed enough to stand up and put it off the shelf. So that that was good content. Right, you're well number done. 10. Thanks. <laughs> so my number 10, Ronan, is um, you're going to be a little bit upset with me about this one because is it an expansion or is it a standalone? You can play it standalone, and it's one of your least favourite expansions of Dominion. It's Dominion Prosperity. You can't play Prosperity standalone. Yes, you can. No, you can't. Intrigue's the only one you can play standalone. No, Dominion's Prosperity is standalone as well. No, I'm not. I'm checking this. I'm no. checking it. Firstly, you're wrong. And secondly, talk while I check this and <laughs> hopefully don't have to eat humble pie. Go on. I'm pretty sure Dominion Prosperity was <laughs> it was a standalone. If not, I got a backup rating. It was the game. Is that not a good start? I if, think this one might count. <laughs> it was the Dominion that gave me what I wanted. Ronan's all about being frugal and having to eat things out and really struggling. I like to have lots of money and really build up a strong economy. And that was what prosperity was all about. It was about getting loads of money, loads of cards into your hand and doing big, grandiose moves. And it was the, my favourite of the Dominions for, for sure. And it wasn't standalone, I've just checked. I knew it. The only standalone was Intrigue, because that's the one that was in the BGG Top 100 with Dominion. And it was like, oh, is it really a different game? Prosperity wasn't. What's your real number 10? And before you do that, <laughs> it's rubbish, because it completely changes Dominion from a clever combo builder where it's quite tight and you're actually having to think about your turns to oh, I've just got loads of money and it's a massive race and I don't like the changes it made so you and the rest of the world are wrong about that game that isn't a game <laughs> so the one that just got eked out by it <laughs> no it's your number 10 because Dominion Prosperity is not a game it is a game <laughs> Dominion Prosperity is my number 10 but the one that would have been my number 10 if I'd have changed it is Rivals for Catan the, the card game of Catan, I th I prefer it to actual Catan itself. Very clever. It plays two players, obviously, which is which is my strong sweet suit because I play a lot of two-player games. And it gave, gives that feel of Catan. And I think it's actually better. I think it's tighter than Catan. Maybe a little bit meaner than Catan, but a really good, strong Euro experience for two players. 
It's definitely tighter. It's definitely meaner. And it doesn't feel that much like Catan for me. It's got the same theme as much as there is a theme in that you're building up resources and you're attacking each other and what have you. I liked it. There was a lot to it. There was three different ages and each age was a separate game. And there was a way you could tie them together. And there was lots of different expansions available. And it really was a whole system that I think almost was held back in this case because of the Catan branding. I think because it was so different. If you're a fan of Catan and you got it, you were like, what is this game? This is a pretty deep Euro card game. And then I think players who might have enjoyed it more were kept away from it because of the Catan branding. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I kind of, I always felt, but I didn't, again, I didn't play Catan that often. I always kind of felt he just gave that tickle of Catan, but then it was a little bit deeper. So that was why it would have been my number 10 if Dominion Prosperity wasn't the game. So it actually was your number 10. <laughs> okay, my actual number nine, and just to clarify, all the nine of these games that are coming up are all games good, is Basilica, which is one that I bang on about, but I haven't mentioned for a little while on the podcast. It was designed by Lukash Pagoda, it's a two-player tile layer in which you're creating a cathedral and you start in rows at the top and you build downwards creating this, this set width of row and that's as if you're putting the cathedral together. It's not The theme's not strong. You're creating patterns of colour because the tiles come in different setups. Or it's split into four or two or what have you of various colours. And when a, an area of colour is all joined together, that's how you're going to score points. But you need to put presents in there and you have a very tight number of workers that represent your presence. And you can mess with each other by putting down certain tiles that move workers out or attack or switch them around. And you're looking to block each other off, be in the right place when it scores. There's three scorers throughout the game. Place down some scaffolding to annoy the other person. It's very mean. You're going to need to play it with someone who doesn't mind in-your-face gaming. But another, for me, hidden gem in a tight two-player tile layer, Basilica. I've never actually played this one, Rodan. It always... I've always noticed it on your shelf and it always you looks a bit boring. To. I know, it looks boring. No, you were like, tedious. you said it was mean. We'll have a fight. <laughs> we have enough fights without board games making us do it. That's why I was top off covered in olive oil whenever I was asking you to play. <laughs> Popeye's not going to be happy about that. <laughs> you leave that to me and Popeye. <laughs> My number nine is another one that I know is going to upset Ronan. It is Ascension, the deck building game. Very simple deck building game, but the reason I liked it was that it was very interactive, really easy to get into, lots of take that, but never outstayed its welcome. The reason it's not in my collection anymore is that the app actually gives me everything I want from the game. The app is so good, it actually made me think, well, do I need to have the deck, the game in my collection anymore? But it's still a really strong game, and I still play the app all the time. You summed it up perfectly, Sean, in that... This whole 45-minute experience of a game can be done in five minutes on an app because that's how much game there is in there. The, the annoyance, I'm sure people don't remember, but there's, there's two different resources in the game and you can go down one path and then in the market as the cards come out, the cards that require you to pay that resource don't come out and that's what you've got in your deck. So you're screwed by card draw and there's just a little bit too much going on for what the weight is. So perfect five or 10-minute app game too little gaming for the full 45 minutes or maybe half an hour when you know it it takes to play go on what's your number eight Ronan? my number eight I, I, i'm all hidden gem sean i'm all hidden gem. this one is criminally underrated but there's a reason why it's olympus the one with the u on the yeah, end not the i see i always have to ask you i'm like what's the good one is it olympus or olympus it's olympus 
bus with the U, and I always forget. Olympos was, I didn't like it. It was too abstract. It was a Euroe game. This is also Euroe. This is from Andrea Chiavesio. It was his follow-up big game to Kingsburg and Luca Iannaco. It's nothing like Kingsburg. It's uh, themed around ancient Greece, and there are nine, ten deities available to you, and on your turn, you choose to activate one of the available deities by putting one of your priests in, and then everyone else on the board gets the chance to follow you for that action. So, Puerto Rico, or you were talking about a game that was similar in our last reviews. What was it? Serenissima? Yes. It's that thing where one person selects what action it is and everyone can have a go on their turn. In this case, the person who selects it gets the alpha, the slightly better, and everyone else gets the beta, but it won't be activated again. And there's a limited number of rounds. So sometimes you have to jump in, but you've also got a very limited pool of priests. Now that's how it's different, Serenissima and Puerto Rico, because you cannot follow or trigger every action that goes on. You're having to pick and choose. Oh, do I use this priest for the beta version of this action or do I try and save it hoping that I'll be able to take the alpha action next or will they likely to take it on? You know, you're trying to read each other and how to best maximise the limited number of actions you will have each round. What you're doing with those rounds is driving up tracks in your own civilization, be it for military or production of fish or wheat, and then you're going to get to produce those things each round, and you're going to use them most often to build buildings. And I'll come back to that. But also... There's conflict within it in this very Euro game. You can start war on each other by using the Ares action, or you can choose Plague by using Apollo, but Apollo can also be a benefit to you. So you can take, I'm going to play nice Apollo, or I'm going to play bad Apollo. Your military strength limits your population, because lots of population's good, but you can't protect them, you lose them at the end of the round, and people can mess with you with that. And coming back to the buildings, I think this is the huge thing that stopped Olympus getting a bigger audience was... You started the game with 33 buildings that belong just to you. It's a whole deck of cards. And during the course of the game, you're asked, which of these buildings do you want to build? How are you going to create a strategy? And it is overwhelming. You just, in the first couple of plays, just got to pick a couple of little things and go, I'm going to go with this. I'm probably not going to play well. I'm just going to make this work to some degree and then learn the buildings as you go and get better. And I've forgotten them now because I haven't played this game for a while. But it is an absolutely brilliant game with that slight hurdle to entry, but deserves a much bigger audience. Yeah, I've nearly bought this on a few occasions because I know you talk so highly about it. I've just been going for a tenner and stuff. I know, and I keep. That's what I think. FFG had a lot of faith in it and printed a load of copies. Yeah. And you never played it. I keep. That's why I keep phoning you. Which one is it? And it's always the other one that I find for, for going cheap. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I'm well up for giving it a go. But as as yet, I am have not played it. So moving on to my number eight. Now I know I'm on safe ground here with Roden. Maybe. Not so safe in that it's not high enough for him. But my number eight is Forbidden Island, one of Matt Leacock's first efforts, and a family favourite in not only my house, but Ronan's too. Trying to escape before the Forbidden Island sinks into the sea. Cooperative game, asymmetric powers, really good introduction to cooperative gaming for adults and children alike. And uh, it will always be a favourite in my household. 
And my number seven is Forbidden Island. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the first of my predicted crossovers. So I'm one out of four so far. Yeah, even Ellie, she just turned 17. And last year at HandyCon, we were kind of knocking around, waiting for some people to finish the game. And she chose Forbidden Island. So it's not just for small kids. And uh, you can put it on the more challenging settings. And it is challenging. And every game's varied. And it's got that excitement. And and it's like, oh, we get back. And the whole, as Sean likes to say, the theatre of having to escape (laughs) on a helicopter really brings it to life and you can see the island sinking and you can have different layouts it's i think an underappreciated gem see there, there goes my top five for you yeah i knew it i knew you wouldn't get my top five i ain't that predictable <laughs> my friend so my, my number seven another one of ronan's favorites i think is seven wonders from Antoine balzer really clever card drafting game where you're working through the eras and you're trying to build up your own kingdom very very abstract in its way but definitely very interactive especially with your neighbors only slight criticism has always been the people across the table from you can you really influence what they're doing lots of routes to victory thoroughly enjoyable game i think nowadays i think it's at its best for me in the team variant but it's still a very strong game and my number seven Yeah, it's kind of been swamped with expansions that might be slightly unnecessary. It's hard to get, unless you're playing team, which I love, it's hard to get a game off just like base Seven Wonders with four or five players because that's when it's at its best. I think adding leaders and stuff just adds a bit of random because you don't know if you're going to get the cards that fit with your leaders and all stuff like that. So it's a game with a lot of good qualities that's possibly been swamped by all the expansions that came out for it. Very good, very good. My number six is Navigador from Mac Gertz. It's a game set in the Portuguese era of exploration. The mechanism is driven by a rondel, and by going around that rondel, you're going to be sending fleets of ships out to explore across South America, around Africa, over to Asia and the Spice Islands, as they did. You're looking to claim sources of certain goods, but also at the same time using your money that you make from these things in order to build an infrastructure in Lisbon. And there's definitely a duality in do you concentrate more on one or the other? And what the other players are doing will definitely influence what is most profitable for you because you need to build up a certain size of fleets to be able to sail to to the far off reaches for the real riches but that tends to ebb and flow because it takes a lot of money to build that fleet and then you send it out and then it will make your trade stations and then you're going to have to trade to get loads of money back so you won't be exploring for a while while you make your money build up your infrastructure to send out another fleet and it happens over 90 minutes to two hours and the players drive the economy because someone has to be selling the things that you want to buy back in Lisbon and and vice versa. And if people don't play ball with you or you try and monopolise too much, then you're not going to get as much economic movement, which is going to limit the amount of money that you make. It's a really stood up to test of time classic euro that has actually grown for me in appreciation. I think actually 10 years ago, the amount of interaction and the amount that other players could drive your decisions, I probably didn't appreciate as much when I first played it in the Essen Halls as I do now. So my number six, Navigador. Right, Ronan, this sound. Yeah. Has my list been torn up? Did you forget it? I forgot it! Oh, I forgot it! Imbecile! Oh, God, it would have been right up there. That's one of my crossovers, God. 
That is my, my perfect four has been ruined. <laughs> I completely forgot it. I'm sorry, Navigator. I was, that was like dead certain. That of was, all of them, that is like second most certain you'd yeah, have it in your top that was top. That was top three. That was top right. three. Right, so ignore Rivals for Catan. Ignore Dominion Prosperity that isn't a game. <laughs> All of these ones have to shift. What are you doing? What are you doing? What's going was, on? I, I had it on my initial list, and I didn't. When I was doing the actual listing of what's number one and to ten, for some reason I overlooked it. I'm just looking at it written down on the initial list. A transcription error. Oh, I'm an idiot. Many a kingdom has fallen to that short. <laughs> oh, well, I, I don't know if I can go on, Ronan. Well, I don't want you to. <laughs> okay. My number six is a game that I hate Ronan for getting rid of, and I, I often mention it to him, is Founding Fathers. Now, I don't know if it's held up to the test of time because I haven't been able to play it for a while, but certainly when, when we used to play it with Ronan in at his house, myself and Natalie used to absolutely love it. It's all about the forming of the Declaration of Independence and voting against other states and getting yourself into a strong position to vote in what you your sort of bills and powers, etc. I thought it was a fantastic game. Ronan, you liked it, but not enough to keep it. My one abiding memory of this is getting in a row or BGs when I was absolutely off my tits drunk early one morning. So that could have been any day. <laughs> I made a complaint about something or other and I got in a vociferous row with the publisher and other people. It was like people were instant posting on this thread and then I woke up the next day and I had a little read to the rule book and I was completely in the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that I would like to try it again knowing a bit more about uh, US politics. For whatever reason, I've learned more about US politics in recent years, Sean. <laughs> I don't know why, because uh, we're all going to die. Because there were certain concepts within that that I didn't really understand what we were talking about. And it might sound funny to US audience, but like big government versus little government and things like that. They are certainly not as high in the British consciousness as they are in the US consciousness and they drive the polarity of politics over there way more than you know it's, it's a slightly subtle differences in the issues that drive the politics over here I would suggest so I, there was a lack of engagement there for me so I liked it but it was just one of those there's lots of games I like that I just haven't got room for yeah, I always go for it in the old maths trade. I haven't been able to secure it just yet, but one day, one day. In fairness, you put about 200 games on your want list every maths trade, so, you know, we can say that for a lot of things. <laughs> it's a fair share. And end up with number 196, 197, yeah, 199. Yeah. every single time. <laughs> too many on there. Okay, now you reckon you knew my top five? Yeah, I would know, it's gone, it's gone. Oh, all right, so you're still going hitting for four out of five, right? Ooh. This is the one I think you had no chance of getting. No, I think. Have you? Did you? Have you already said Seven Wonders? No, you said it. Oh, I said it. Okay, all right. So, well done for listening, though, to all five <laughs> games. I've just said. Space Hulk, Death Angel. I knew you liked it. It would. I had it as a as a possibility. No, 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 no. Was it in your top five prediction? It or not? wasn't. It was just outside. I knew that. I knew you had it. Got it. Seven. I knew you had it, got it. I knew that. <laughs> this is from Corey Kanitska. It's a, a co-op card game that can be played solo and works very well solo, in which the players are controlling different chapters of the Space Marines from the Warhammer 40k universe, 
And uh, like the old classic game Space Hulk, you're supposed to be going into a situation exploring while there are gene stealers, in effect aliens from the Aliens franchise, crawling around the place and surprise attacking you and jumping out. And you move from room to room as your squad slowly depletes. It's more or less a suicide mission you're on. You're going in to get to the end and do the thing that you have to do and really with no hope of return. And quite often no hope of winning <laughs> because it's a pretty hard game but I like it for the fact it's very hard what feels really good to me one of the things is that I said there's different chapters and each chapter you get to control two marines so say you're playing solo you control three chapters playing two players you get two each you get the idea one of those marines is kind of standard bog standard if you're sure and the other one is a super duper special one that has got a special power or a special attack or can do maybe two things on a turn instead of one and they are vital absolutely vital to being successful using them well throwing the meat shields in the way so that you're left with the decent marines at the end which is harsh and feels harsh when someone's done a good job for you but you're like no mate you're going brother what's his face can't die i need him so playing with different chapters really refreshes it each time and they brought out an expansion load of new uh, space marines in there which again refreshed the play and every time it's a different challenge of having the different chapters the scenarios are slightly randomized you've got slightly different things you're trying to do but it's always hard you've got a facing where the cars just face left or right which can be important because if the aliens come behind you you're in big trouble you can't shoot them you have to help each other out each marine can only shoot in their channel or to either side so you have to actually position them in within your column so that they, you've got different facings in different ways it's just a real good tactical puzzle and i really really enjoy it one of my favorite solo games of all time space hulk death angel my number five yeah, it was in it was in my top fifteen. I I really liked it from playing it with Ronan. I think it probably works better as a solo game, if I'm honest. And I bought it. I I still own it to this day. And yeah, really strong thematic, tense game. Yeah, it goes up to six players, but forget it. Don't play with more than three. With three, you can control two chapters each. And, and because if you lose your one good marine early you kind of feel like you're out of the game. So you have to control really at least two chapters so that you're fully involved in the whole situation. But yeah, anyway, your number five, Sean. So my number five is Fresco, coming from Queen. It's a game in which you're sending workers out to buy paint, to mix paint, so that you can produce your beautiful paintings in the, in the church or the cathedral. And a very good... Not quite start a European experience, but definitely on the lighter side of the Euro games. And one of the, the first ones that I really got into, and it's still a, a firm favourite now. Fresco was one of those I was going to, it's in my honourable mentions, it's, it's an 11 to 20 boy for me. Uh, I, th I don't think it's as light as possibly you suggested there. there. There's a bit of thought to it. There's loads of expansions available. It might sag a bit when you start adding all the queenies and all the extra bits in, but there's a big box available. And it's certainly good enough to consider getting that big box if you're a Euro fan of, of light to medium weight and seeing which expansions work for you. So, yeah, very good choice, Sean. I like Fresco. Yeah, with the big box. I've got the big box, and it is really of handy. Have. Of course I have. Uh, it's really handy just to, to fire in, as you, as you sort of said, in, in the ones that work for you and you can build, almost build your own experience out of fresco because there are so many of the queenies so that i think that's actually a plus to it is that you can build that mm, but it takes a lot of plays you, do, you have to understand what's good and what's bad first yeah. yeah you've had 10 years of playing it to work out what you like so you know you have to like the game first before <laughs> try, try it in the board game cafe if you really like it get the big box it's worth it maybe maybe Okay, this, if this isn't a crossover, I literally don't know who you are. Now, you've ruined Navigator, 
Don't ruin Luna. No comment. No, I get no. I know it's coming up later. I know it is. Ronan, I'm not saying anything about Luna. A Steppenfeld game. It's an action selection game in which you are acolytes worshipping the moon goddess. There's a set of islands. There's different actions on each island, but the movement between islands is difficult to do. And it means if you move in a normal fashion, that that acolyte is out of action and won't get to take an action this turn, which all links into the fact there's a very good timing mechanism within the game, that there are special personalities, if you like, that move around different islands that want you to either be in that vicinity or not be in that vicinity because being there will get you points or, or lose your points or make the island more effective. There's a really clever mechanism in which you join a temple and you can control the space in which you join this temple this hex and by going in you can kick other acolytes out so they stop scoring points for other players it was taken uh, and used basically exactly the same in la granja which is a big euro hit from a couple of years later and it really is Steffenfeld at his very best with some familiar concepts but mixed together with some unfamiliar concepts to make something slightly different that is a real 90-minute workout for the brain. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> Your number four? My number four is Merchants and Marauders, Z-Man and Christian Marcusen. It's a sprawling, almost sandbox-type game. Pick up and deliver at its heart, but you're, you're sailing the seven seas. You can go two routes. You can either be a pirate or you can be a, a trader, bringing trade to various islands. You have the ability to build up your ship, to build up your crew. Just It's one of those games where you just really feel like... The world is your lobster and off you can off you pop and do what you want to do. It can also be enhanced with add-ons. So there are expansions within the box. There's like a weather one, etc. Just really love the feel of this game. It can go quite long. Some games I enjoy because I enjoy playing them. I enjoy the mechanism within the game. It might not be the tightest game in and of itself in terms of winning the game, but I just enjoy the experience of playing Merchants and Marauders. I've had good games, I've had bad games, and and that's the fact that the weight is not quite good enough for me to put it in a top 10 list because it feels a little bit raw. It's, it's not quite tied together well enough, and the interaction isn't always great between the players, and if you have three, it doesn't quite balance out properly. So I think it was a decent try, and it's a good game, and if you like the sound of it, give it a go. It just didn't quite hit the top 20 mark for me. Okie dokie. Oh, we're into top three country now. This is this is big. This is big. My number three, you knew it when you mentioned it, is Seven Wonders. You knew oh. I was going to have this high up. I think it's a deceptively deep drafter. I don't think it's uh, the intro game that people try to use it as. They almost use it as a party game. I think that you're entirely one quadrillion percent wrong about you can't influence people the other side of the table. Of course you can, because your cards are going to end up to them. And you have to look what they're doing. And everyone has to be aware of what everyone else on the table is trying to do to make it a real full experience of the game because there's this number of cards in play for each player count. It's something that's been discussed recently about games. Um, I was listening to a review on Dukes of Dice on It's a Wonderful World. And they were saying that the deck doesn't scale for the number of players. Well, Seven Wonders did it perfectly. The fact that that is the case means that then when you're playing with that set of players, you know roughly, if you played it a lot, you know exactly what cards are in that deck. Therefore, if certain cards are out, 
you know, oh, hold on, the two stone producing ones are out. I can see them over there. I need to keep this stone one. Well, I've got a choice between the two. There's no old ones out. I'm likely to be past the wood one. So therefore, that's balancing my choices all the time. And table awareness just makes the game better. So people who say, no, you don't even look at people over the table. No, absolute rubbish. Don't play like that. Much better with four or five than it is with the full whack of seven, which again, people seem to insist on having to play it with seven. Don't, especially not for your first games. It works really well with three. Don't worry about the higher play counts. Do that when you get to know it very well. As I said before, the expansions aren't that great, but it's a fantastic next step game, which I think deserves more respect as a fairly deep experience to dive into then it gets given as this oh seven player quick drafter like like it was sushi go or something sushi goes rubbish seven wonders brilliant well as you already know is is my number seven so i also really enjoy the game ronan i've got i think i've got your top four spot on wasn't hard though was it <laughs> given we know each other for 40 years probably not <laughs> okay well done you go on yay my number three is Castle Ravenloft from Wizards of the Coast and a whole load of designers. It was the first real dungeon crawler that I had played since my days playing Hero Quest. It has so, been three episodes since you mentioned Hero Quest, so you know. Well, there you go. So therefore, it was an experience that I already was a little bit familiar with, and going into this game, it all it all worked. It was it was thematic. It felt like I was exploring a dungeon. It was the first in a system where the they all three of the first games worked. Maybe some of the latter games in that system haven't been as good as the first three for sure. But Castle Ravenloft, a place in my heart. It was it was easy to put that in at number three for me, and I still love it to this day. Here's why you're wrong. It was really good at the time, and it was innovative, and it made dungeon crawling accessible, but it's been usurped by its own successors. And therefore, in terms of looking back at a top 10, it doesn't stand up, because I wouldn't say play Castle Ravenloft out of this system. I'd pl- say play Rash of... Rash, Rash of Shardland, that's nonsense. That game is no better or no worse. They're the same it's game. It's better because of the balance. No. Castle Ravenloft is too hard, so it gets very frustrating, and you ended up in scenarios where you're just running away all the time because you're getting beaten up. Legends of Drist was too easy. The, the heroes were too powerful, so you are just smashing through it. Wrath of Shardland got the balance right. It went off kilter with the one that we didn't like temple of elemental evil it came back again with tomb of annihilation so it's a series that is not all as as monotone as could be suggested there are better and worse ones in there and this one's middle of the road so i can't put it in the top 10 you're absolutely wrong the fact that you do have to run away sometime it makes it a more tactical experience sometimes those games where we're running away i remember one with with steve paget we played when we were running away and we managed to eat the win we were we were we were whooping and a hollering right? we were also there for about four hours running in circles <laughs> what's the name of that dra- that vampire that is in the, uh, is in the ravenloft the dungeons and dragons stuff people are gonna be shouting at their devices he always shows up he's like the main dracula type dude in dungeons and dragons he's in castle ravenloft all the time Ugh. yeah another one yeah, another one yeah. whatever his name is i'm sorry everyone he turns up out of the blue and ju- like you're going well, you're playing well, and he turns up out of the blue or on a not necessarily him, but on an encounter card, the voice of Vlad or whatever, and you're like, oh my, what? We've just been well, ran away quick. We've got to go out of nowhere, and that's why it was great fun at the time, but there was nothing better. But now the stuff that's better. 
But it's your number three. So you know. I disagree. You know what my number two and one are. Most people will know what my two and one are, but I'm going to say them anyway. Number two, <laughs> Lords of Vegas, James Ernest and Mike Salinka. It is a, a amazing group experience, which is got a big dose of luck in it. You're attempting to build casinos on a grid that shows Las Vegas. You're looking to expand into each other, attack each other's casinos, take over, but most importantly, make loads and loads of trades and deals. And if you do that, I'll do that. No, no, don't do that with him. Come over here. I'll give you more. Oh, hold on a second. What about if I do that on the side and we cut them out and uh, and it's all backstabbing and it's funny and there's massive dice rolls and every now and then the improbable happens which can be incredibly frustrating when it goes against you but also incredibly funny if everyone else is playing and as a group experience I rarely if ever have had a game that is more funny laugh out loud fun than Lords of Vegas my number two it's one of those ones I've had great games I've had terrible games it is really group dependent when when you've got the right group around you nobody's taking it too seriously everyone's got the, thinks they're Al Capone then brilliant they bring it on but when you do have someone who's going to get upset had a couple of experiences in your household where the, the, the other person got really upset about a couple of deals that were made uh, to the point where they were quite abusive uh, no I'm, I'm going to step away from that game there so that's kind of I warned you not it. to play it with my mother <laughs> I told you she turns uh, yeah it just made me be really wary about the game and who I play it with. With the right company, it would be top 10. With the wrong company, it's not even top 100. I think you took that to heart too much that day. (laughs) Everyone was happy. Everyone was hugging each other afterwards. It's all good. So, uh, yeah, and and play it with four players. And if you do, you need to stack the deck to the right number of cards because it will be uneven turns, and that feels horrific if you do it the way they tell you to. So, 28 or 32 cards in the deck. Number two, Sean. My number two, Ronan, is... It's, it's another one that we've played lots and lots, the two of us. Alien Frontiers, Troy Neiman and Clever Mojo Games. Way back when it was one of the first Kickstarter successes, it's a game in which you are placing dice as workers. It was one of the first games I ever saw do that. So you're manipulating those dice. It's an area control where you're trying to control a planet, various routes to victory, just really enjoy the theming of the game all those classic sci-fi writers all the areas are named after and it really does have that classic sci-fi feel to it the the artwork and the feel of it are really evocative of that and a game that i do keep going back to i'm in the middle of and that's probably why it's up as high as number two i'm in the middle of one of those hankerings to play it ronan and it's going to hit the table very soon in this house because we mentioned it to nat and she's she's up for a game too that's alien frontiers yeah and another one that is in the uh top 20 but as you know and i've mentioned it before it peaked for me and then fell away a bit by because i played it a lot <laughs> a lot a lot so that's why it faded away. In terms of excitement in 2010, if we'd done this list or in 2011, it would have been way up there in my top five. It can be slow. That's the one issue. And certainly some of the expansions feel unnecessary and they bring in a fifth player. How often is the fifth player added to a game the death knell for a game? With like, uh, yeah, no, five, five players out of Frontiers is atrocious. No. It just ruins the game. Yeah. So four teeters on that being too long and three... 
And this is massively nitpicking. It's a very, very good game. I think I've been a bit too mean on your games. I like, these are all, all your games are really good, apart from Ascension. And the fact that Dominion Prosperity isn't a game. Um, it is a really good game, but three teeters slightly on not enough competition and four teeters slightly on too long. But that's the only reason I can say that is because I played it so much. So it had to be a very good game for me to play dozens and dozens of games of it. So uh, Alien Frontier is very good. It's in my top 20. Very good. Right, so... I think you're going to tell us that Ascension's your number one now, aren't you? No. I'm going to tell you the best game that was ever made, ever, is clearly the best game from 2010. <laughs> your, your number one of all time It just happens to be a 2010 game. Oh, well, there you go then. So we know that Dominant <laughs> Species should be Sean's number one. It's not going to be, but it should be Sean's number one. It should be everyone's number one because it is an amazing, amazing game of action selection where you're putting down your pawn and then they get resolved in a certain order. And in doing that, you're creating land and then from that land, you're putting food on there and you're adapting your own species that you control to be able to live off that food and to control both in terms of uh, numerical advantage and getting cubes on the board, but also in terms of being best adapted to areas as this land expands and the food moves around and it disappears and it turns up again. And you're trying to judge your limited actions as to how much and what you wish to manipulate. Then there are very powerful cards that, that trigger all sorts of different things. There's a balance of power going on all the time. It's very interactive. They're attacking each other and taking cubes off the board and using events against each other. So you have to be doing well, but not make yourself a massive target. Every single action in this game, more than any other game I've ever played, every single action matters because that balance of power is sixfold with all six of maze and it tilts slightly this way, that way, or maybe massively this way, that way, depending upon every single action that's taken. So while it looks to be chaotic, once you have played it a couple of times, you can then see, or you hopefully can see, oh, if they, they remove that food, that's reduced their power and reduced their power and given them a better chance. They're now the next thing that I need to be aware of because they're rising and they're, and they're waning, waxing and waning rather. And, and it's just brilliant. And I, I had opportunity here to mark the fact that the designer, Chad Jensen, passed away at the age of 52 at the end of 2019, which is a really sad moment for, for me because I love this game so much. A sad moment for our community, but I think some solace for those close to him that he created something that I'm still enjoying a decade later. I, I'm sure I'll be enjoying it in a decade's time. And many, many people I know have had hours and hours of incredible fun and entertainment and laughter from something he created and really what more could you ask for your legacy? Uh, something to be proud of. So I definitely can't be mean about it now, can I? No, you definitely can't. I mean, <laughs> you know, tragic loss. Dominant Species, Ronan, we've talked about it before. Despite the fact that the only game I've ever had of this is probably the worst game room experience I've ever had in my life, I can still see that this is a brilliant game. I own it. I'm yet to have that second game, but I'm pretty sure should I ever have that second game and third game and fourth game, it'll go right up there and it'll probably be at least in my top three, if not my number one. I can see what a great game it is. I just had one terrible experience. So until I have a good experience, I really can't justify putting it in my list. But yeah. Here's a plan. Here's a plan. Ellie's itching to play it. You're itching to play it. Rachel and I love it. That's four. I'm not playing with you, you shark. Oh, you know, listen, you know the way this goes. I am not allowed to win Dominant Species because I every time, oh, I could attack you or your oh, Ronan's playing, you're dead. 
If I get third out of six, that is a win. So that means Rachel's guaranteed the win. No, 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 because she's got she's she's one of those hot and cold players on it. Whereby sometimes she's up. I don't think I've ever, no, I've never seen her win it. I don't think. And sometimes she's cold. I don't think she's. It's a bit too chaotic for her. You know, she's quite, she's very analytical, isn't she? Yeah. So I just said it wasn't chaotic in my thing. There's a bit too many moving parts. She's you know, if you mess with her, it throws her off a bit, which is quite funny. And I get, I get punched sometimes. <laughs> No, they seriously aircon man because you, you got someone who could teach you. You will get some newer players in. I'll I'll be nice ish. Ish. <laughs> it's a plan, man. Can we Let's do it? Can we play on my board? Because your board's horrific. The second edition board doesn't look worse than the first one. The first one is clean. No, no. we can play on your board. If it's going to get you to play, or play on your ugly board. Okay. Cool. Deal. Okay, so my number one was Ronan's number four. It's Luna from Steffenfeld and Hall Games, Z-Man Games. Tasty Minstrel are bringing out the luxury version of it. There's a reason we said we weren't going to list the publishers. (laughs) (laughs) Games that are 10 years old, how many of them have got 38 publishers on (laughs) But that was my number one, so I thought I'd give it a little bit of a run. So, yeah, for all the reasons Ronan said, just really clever. Stefan Feld at his very best. Lots of moving parts, lots to think about. Head scratchy in a really good way. I think the artwork looks beautiful. I believe it's Clemens Franz. And in, in our gaming group, it was brought round to, to the house recently. We all sat down thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it yet again. It's never failed to live up to expectations, and that's why Luna's my number one for 2010. This is the second best game on your list, so well done. This is a fantastic choice. <laughs> and I was hoping that the uh, the reprint would, would breathe new life into it, but it might be slightly too exclusive because they just did a they just did the nice edition, right? So they made it more expensive. I would love to, for it to get sort of a more cut price wider thing because I think that there's a, a gaming generation or two out there who have never played Luna and that they, mm. they would really, really I enjoy it. I think there's a little, little expansion in there as well. An expansion. Expansion. I'm, I'm always wary, you know that. We've decided to throw this in. Is it going to be the... Because this is finely balanced, this game. You know, there are some games that can take expansions and some that can't. And this one, I'm like... Maybe not, maybe not. But I I got it because I didn't own the original. And why not get the pretty version? Oh, no, yeah, no, no, that makes sense. I'm not not saying they shouldn't have done it. Mm. I'm just saying I'd love to see it become really accessible. Accessible, yeah, 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 for sure. For my four predictions, I only got three out of the four. <laughs> I'm including I ruined it with Navigator. No, 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 no. I'm including Navigator. Oh, are you? Because that would have been in there. I thought you would have Jerusalem in there. It, we, again, we, we'd, we'd said that we'll quickly run through our, our maybes. So for me, Ronan, my maybes were Jerusalem. Uh, War of the Roses, Lancaster versus York. That's on my maybes. We had a couple of fantastic games we back did, in the day, but didn't we? You bought it for me as a, as a present, and I haven't played it, but I refused to get rid of it because I know oh, yeah. how good it is. It so can I, be, yeah, yeah. We, we really, I know we say it a lot, we need to play that game because that has the potential to be top 10. I just haven't played it often enough. Definitely, definitely. Obviously, Lords of Vegas and Dominant Species were in my maybes, and London. London came out in 2010. Or the Martin Wallace game. I think the reason I left that off is because the new one from Osprey Games clears up all the problems and it, it does it clears them up to almost too well, so it almost it's pretty much a different game now. It really takes away all the things that didn't work for me about London. I think if it had been the, the new version, that would have been in the top ten. Fair enough. 
Okay. My near misses were Alien Frontiers. Mm-hmm. Castle Ravenloft. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Elements, which when I played it was a uh, Sieben Siegel or something like that. It's a trick-taking game where you have to bid on how many hands you're going to take. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really mean. <laughs> it's really, because the number of bids can't add up to exactly how many tricks there are. So you, someone is getting stitched up somewhere. So that was really funny. I had some really good games at London Board. Yeah. Uh, Fresco was there. Cool. Uh, Mercator. Yes, I never really got on with that to the point yeah. where I think I gave my copy to you. It was it was good, but it was a little bit too not abstract, a little bit too mathsy for me. A little bit too sort of terminal. What's the word? I don't know. I don't know. Term terminal. Determin- deterministic. Maybe you've been asked twice. You've used that. In I have. Times. I know. I'm I not know. sure you know what it means, but you're using it. <laughs> Fire on. I'm going to try and think of a word that I don't know what it means and throw it in there as well. It means I'm trying to work out if that applies to the game. <laughs> I'm not going to stop mocking you. Yeah, it's, it's the it's the forgotten Rosenberg, really, Mercator, mm. about lots of different goods being made around Europe, and it's very all about trading, and it's weird, and it looks weird, and it plays slightly differently, and it can fall flat if people don't really engage with it, but but can also be incredible. Uh, next was Sealand. You never Zealand. played it. Never played it. Heard good things. Yeah, good tile layer. It's available for cheap, and it's clever. And you set things up, and again, you can really interact with each other. That's, that's a good solid game. Timeline. Oh, was that, it was a twenty two. I did see it. I did. I just thought there's Timeline so many of them. Or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, I just it's thought that's game. so much fun. It's so simple. Yeah. But it is actually fun, and it's laughing, and you are like, that was invented when. <laughs> so I like that for the fun of it. Um, the one I always throw in that you had, had a, a Catan game, my Catan Settlers of America Trails to Rails. Oh, okay. okay. It's kind of a deeper, thinkier railway building mm-hmm. uh, Catan game where you've got to spread across the North American continent. And my last one was War of the Roses, which you mentioned, yeah. which we, we desperately need to play. So, Sean, t- some fabulous games from 2010. All the games mentioned are worth playing, apart from Ascension. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I like your list. Your list is strong. Wow. Now you're just trying to be nice because you realise what a knob you've been all, all episode. <laughs> I, no, I'm set out to be a knob. I'm not here to agree with you. <laughs> you have to have Light and Shadow, man. If you're saying it's good, I've got to throw some reasons why it wasn't quite as good. Again, I think... I. Maybe didn't emphasise how much I liked the games that you chose when I was talking about them. I was emphasising the reasons why it wasn't on my top ten. All of the games, apart from I think there was two games that I hadn't played that were on your list. I think all of your games were stuff that were in and around my list anyway. So yeah, I think our lists, our top twenty, I think would be very similar. Yeah, yeah, a lot of crossover there. Mm. Right, that is an unusually often lost. Times two and a half hour long episode. That was fun to edit. <laughs> We're done in under an hour, Sean. This is a miracle. What? What? So, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Ronan. Thank you, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Indeed, indeed. And of course, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there into the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download our episodes, we are on Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, and Spotify. If you wish to contact us, our email address is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. And you can, of course, pop along to our guild on Board Game Geek. We're on social media. We have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, and the place where we're most active is Twitter, and we're at Game Pit Podcast. 
don't forget that we are going along to Aircon from the 13th to the 15th of March up in Harrogate. Hopefully we'll see you up there. And also we have our pit stop videos, which are now on the Dice Tower feed. Catch them for overviews on games. Thank you very much for listening. Music by E. Aaron. Boy, 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 boy,